Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, your host, and I'm joined uh, as I am every week by uh, a giant of a man, both literally and <laughs> spiritually Aww. and symbolically, uh, Spencer, how you doing? I'm so good, Christian, and thank you so much. You're, it's always so great to, to be with you, and it was great because I got to, to see you in person for quite a bit last week. Yeah, I mean, this, the reason we didn't have a podcast last week was because we were in Nashville, Tennessee for the National Speakers Association Conference convention called Influence, and uh, that was fascinating for me. It was the first time I had been there. And uh, it was great to meet you and so many other wonderful people, uh, just surrounded by really, really smart people. And uh, I learned a ton while I was at that conference. So it was great to see you there. What did you think? Well, I, I love to to go to Influence because it is just, you know, you get to meet so many influential people. And and, and that's one of the reasons why they, they call that Influence. And we are meeting people from all over the world Christian that are you know speakers and leaders of of organizations and and you know helping people to become more effective in their in their lives influencing people to be more productive and effective and so one of the reasons why I go to influence every year for you know my business which is influencing people is to learn how other influencers are are, are doing it and, and learn from them. And it's such a, you know, it's a, such a powerful time to, to, to be mentored and, and learn from the absolute best and just meeting people and getting to, to, to know them and, and having them as, uh, resources to, to constantly challenge and, and, and help me improve. That's one of the reasons why I go every year. And I, I thought you would love it and hopefully you did. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic learning experience for us. Of course, our participation was a little bit different because we were actually a sponsor of the conference, and uh, so we didn't get to go to all of the all of the sessions and everything and learn as much as you did. Uh, but I did I did attend a few, and what I attended was was amazing. And more importantly, it was really a, a fantastic experience for us to get to know uh, speakers who could really really benefit from using our product of the Reconto uh, solution. Uh, I have to ask you about the name of the conference, Influence. It's an interesting name and it's quite apropos for professional speakers because that's what you do is you influence people to help change lives, uh, either individually or organizations. What kind of brings us to the topic of today, which is influence itself, right? Yeah. Uh, become a, up, become yeah. a team influencer is what we is what we talked about. Yes, become a team influencer. So let's dive into this amazing topic, following the the lessons that we learned at the influence conference. Tell us you've got a you've got a you've got a great array of thoughts to go through today, Spencer. So why don't you why don't you walk us through what it you're thinking about becoming a team influencer well you know there I, I i wish i had some more thoughts that specifically from things that that i learned that i wrote down but just in the interaction applied to some things that that i've already experienced for example there is something called a compliment bias and one of the things that 
you know, we can take advantage of as, as leaders is to look for the good in, in our team and our people look for, or actually catch them doing something good. You know, so often I hear managers talking about, I wish my people were doing this. I wish they were doing that. When they do something that you want, actually catch them and compliment them. And some people listening may say, well, isn't that what I pay them for? I pay them to, to do the right things. Yes, yes, you do. But there's something very, very powerful about giving a, a compliment. It lets people know that you are noticing. Uh, it lets people know that you you care and what they have to do matters. And those are things, just those very simple things that can create a, a strong connection with members of your team to you as a team member, whether you're a peer or a team leader, to, to garner influence with them. So that was the first thing. And I noticed that, and, and I saw that uh, happen live as people were, you know, were connecting and giving people compliments and, and networking for, for future, uh, just, just as to call on people when they needed help. You know, if you know someone is trustworthy just because they pay attention to you and, and you've built a rapport and a relationship with them, it's easier to call that person when you have a need. And, and that's something that I saw very uh, prominently at, at the Influence uh, Conference. What about you? What did you see? Well, I, I, I saw a ton. You know, what I saw were a, a group of people. I think there were like 900 or 1,000 attendees there. Yeah. Right? And most of these people are either solopreneurs or they lead small uh, organizations, right? Uh, so in, in most cases, they're not leading an organization of 20,000 people. They're, they're, they're people who are, for the most part, small business people. And they are working on developing or refining or promoting their brand, right? And, and uh, before our call today, we were talking about, we were talking about brands and the importance of brand uh, and how that you know it's not just necessarily from a marketing standpoint to our clients but also our own personal brand and how our brand influences our team and our team's performance and what i gather from what you said spencer is that we actually have a lot more influence on our team than we might think and that uh you know when we do things like you say pay compliments to people what we're doing is we are we are um developing and leveraging that influence not necessarily manipulative ways but uh in 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 ways that can really help strengthen our team and so that was something that i learned and something that you also shared uh, uh with me before we started recording uh was the importance of your own personal brand you know and the brand of your team and how people kind of see themselves what's the what's the brand of the team what are we known by and you know, I'm I'm just you know I'm curious, you know, to, to get to get your take. You know, uh, you know, when it comes to brand, you, you ask some really good questions. What's your brand with the team, and why does this matter? You know, so so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, our personal brands, our the brands of our teams, and why those matter, and how we can build those brands, <coughs> our personal me. brands, with our teams. Well, thank you, Christina. Every 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 organization has a, a brand, every team has a brand. And it's really, I guess, uh, whether you want that to be an intentional brand or accidental. 
So, so think of some famous brands that that you're aware of. I mean, just name some. Uh, what are brands that you that you interact with? Well, it's funny you say that. And the first thing that comes to my mind was Olympic Games because I work uh, work with the International Olympic Committee and the rings. Yeah, the Olympic rings are a huge brand. Uh, companies pay hundreds of millions of dollars to be associated with that brand. Yeah, uh, and so that was the kind of the first thing that came to my mind. But that's coming from my own kind of myopic sphere. But I was thinking of Olympic Games and then, and then the brands of all the sponsors that work, the top sponsors that work with those games. But uh, but that's that's the one that came to my mind. How about for you? You know, one of the, the the most famous brands that I've actually had the opportunity to work very closely with was National Geographic. You know, it's that yellow triangle. And it is an iconic brand. And I, from firsthand, know how carefully they protect that brand. And, you know, we, we were co-branding uh, a theater in, in Victoria, British Columbia with National Geographic. And so I, I got to work with National Geographic and, and see just the inside of, of the organization all the way up to the, the CEO, Gil Grosvenor at the time, and the, the president of National Geographic Television. It was fascinating. And, and work with their brand brand managers. And it is a powerful, powerful brand. You know, think of a brand like Apple. Whether or not you're listening to this and you use Apple or not, what, what happens is when you look at an Apple store, and now so many other stores are actually copying how they do retail because they've really changed the whole process. They wanted to create an experience. You go into an Apple store, and the Apple uh, uh, uh retail experts in there, they have been trained in customer service and in hospitality and and how they work with you. And, and literally for a month before they even allow you out on the floor, they don't just hire you and say, okay, we're going to do some training and here are our core values and, and you know go take care of our people. They put them through a rigorous training program. So much so that when a when an Apple store goes into a location, you know, retail location, whatever it is, it will increase traffic by twenty percent to the to wherever they are. That is the power of of a brand. And you and I, Christian, as and anybody who's listening to this, whether you're a member of a team or a leader of a team, you too have a brand. A brand that can attract people to to do the work to stick with the team just like that apple brand brings people to a physical location people join an organization because of culture which is which all comes down to to individuals on that team it's developed by by individuals that brand comes from human beings. Yeah, we can say, you know, here are our core values, but if it's not lived by you and I, then then there's a dissonance and people will end up leaving. And they don't leave a company. They don't leave our company. They leave me, they leave you. They leave people. And so therefore, our brand is something that we must curate. How do every single time we have a a, a conversation with a team member, we are adding to or taking away from our brand. Every time we make an assignment or fulfill an assignment or uh, you know, take on something and, and follow through or not follow through, we're adding to or taking away from our brand. So that's what, that's what comes to mind. Thought, thoughts that, that this is bringing up for you? Uh, yeah, so what came to my mind as you were talking about you know, brands really come from people 
yes, consumer brands, it's a little bit different because, uh, you know, we may not know. I mean, Steve Jobs is the exception, right? We associate him with Apple and he personifies Apple. He's a celebrity, but we may not. We may not who know who the CEO of Procter and Gamble is, or right. You know, no, that's true. You know, so, we, so from a consumer standpoint, that's true. From, but uh, you know, it made me think of the University of Utah football team. You know, their brand, their culture is very much aligned and associated with, and comes from their head coach. Yeah, the way he coaches, his style of play, the types of uh, players that he recruits. Um, his reputation for building uh, talent uh, that's uh, you know can go on to the National Football League, uh, uh, the the brand's reputation as being really uh, player led. You know when they have they have uh, student leaders in the locker room that that really take that. But that all uh, you're absolutely one hundred percent on point. It's all down to the people, uh, and so I, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way on that, that, that really comes down to the individuals and it's a reflection of us. And- every team, Christian, every single team, whether it's at Procter and Gamble, where we, if you're working for Procter and Gamble, you're on a team. And I guarantee you that that team's personality is a reflection of that team leader, whether that's intentional or, or not. And so hopefully part of what we're, you know, the, hopefully you're getting the message that we're sending here is you can be intentional about that. Kyle Whittingham, the head coach of Utah football, is very intentional. He knows what his brand is, and he attracts a certain type of, of player that, that fits with that, and, and they are drawn to, uh, to him because of, of, of that culture there. And there's an expectation of performance when, when you get there by the rest of the team. That, that personality pervades, you know, it, it just permeates the entire team. So part of being a team influencer is understanding what is, what is your brand? What do you want to be known for? And some people, you know, will just, well, I, I just want to be this, you know, hardcore, you know, hard nose, get, you get the work done. It's all about, you know, productivity here. Well, let me tell you something. That's a brand that is not sustainable. Kyle Whittingham has a, a you know a, a tough brand. I mean, he he's known as a, a you know creating this tough culture, but he cares. He's created that family environment. When there's a problem with with a player, he is there. He has given players that have had challenges in other programs a second chance because he, he, you know, he believes in people, he gives faith, he trusts them, he allows them to, hey, here's what we're building, now, now be a leader within our organization so he doesn't control everybody. So there's, there's kindness, there's, there's, there's care, there's compassion, and there is you give it all you got. And, and that will lead to, uh, you know, I, I think some more benefits of what happens on a team lead, which I, which I want to talk about here on the other side of our bumper. <laughs> Let me come back to this um, idea of biases that that you can use to to influence. One of the the most powerful biases that we have as humans is something called a reciprocity bias. I'm sure you've heard of that before. 
And it is something that, that research and science has proven that is a, just so strong within us. And it's, you know, it goes back to our, our need to, to survive in earlier cultures. If, you know, we, we needed food, someone gave us something, we had this desire to repay that just for the survival of, of, of the species. But it's something in our culture today that is uh, just absolutely uh, expected. You know, I, I don't know if uh, what happens when when people send you Christmas cards. Do you do you return and send them back Christmas cards? Uh, I will say, truthfully speaking, we used to we used to do a lot of Christmas cards, but it became uh, it became a big a big work uh, for my wife, and it got overwhelming to the point where we stopped sending Christmas cards to people. And uh, so we get very few cards now because of the reciprocity there you thing, go. right? That's right. Uh, it, it, it's, it, and if, because if you send one and you don't get one back, then you just aren't going to send a card to that person the next year, right? That's right. And and so it's a, so it's that's a an example of the reciprocity working or not working. And and, and there's there's an individual that actually uh, tested this theory and sent cards to complete strangers and was surprised that he would you know he would got he would get them back. I remember in high school, I don't know if this happened to you in high school, you know, I would, I would ask out, uh, a girl, uh, but my first date was a girl's choice. I, I, I was shy. I was 16 years old and a girl asked me out and, uh, then I returned the favor and, and asked her out. And I remember, you know, thinking that there was this unwritten policy if somebody asked you out you would at least take them out once and when i met my now wife in high school we, we were we had met on a on a blind date i didn't go out with her my best friend did so we doubled and i was going out with my now wife's best friend and my best friend was going out with my now wife uh, jana and you know after that we both we both admired her and and it, my my date was great too and we had a great time but I just I just liked uh, and coveted my my friend's date, <laughs> and so we uh, we were both in, involved in similar activities. So there's a similarity bias. And I remember going to a church activity to see this uh, this girl that I that I had doubled with, but it wasn't my date, and uh, perform at, you know at church. She was playing the flute or something. And afterwards, she came up and introduced one of her good friends by the name of Sid to me. And Sid, right then and there, asked me on a date. I had to then return the favor and ask her out, which I really wanted to ask Jana out, which is you know my now my wife. But this reciprocity bias caused me to date like three or four times this other gal, and she was great. We had so much fun, and we doubled with with my date, and it actually was helpful in in the future relationship because she saw how I treated her friend, who um, had some some uh, cognitive challenges which is, is a long story due to due to an accident but just how i treated her i guess was something that that reciprocity bias made her more inclined to to like me so even though i wanted to go out with with jana who's now my wife i i was you know because of the social norms i mean just was the right thing to do right absolutely well, <laughs> did you ever experience that well, I, I probably didn't have as active a dating life as you did when I was in high school. <laughs> pretty but, 
uh, either that or I've just suppressed the memories of it because I don't <laughs> I don't remember too much. That being said, I, I totally agree uh, with the reciprocity bias. If you do uh, if you do things for people, they will be inclined to do things for you. It, but it, I think it works best if it comes from a real genuine place. Again, it's not a manipulative thing, but it's coming from a genuine place. You're showing people by doing things for them that, that you care about them. And, uh, and they naturally, as you say, they naturally want to return the favor. You know, Christian, you bring up a, a good thing, a, a very important point. And there's a, there's an entire book. It's called Influence, believe it or not. Here we are talking about influence by Robert Cialdini. And the whole purpose of this book is to show how these biases and how these different social constructs that we have are used to manipulate us every single day. The idea of reciprocity, the idea of scarcity, the idea of authority, all these things. And so it's it's a kind of a cynical book, but if you can look past the cynicism, it's it's very powerful. And and you know we we have to, as you pointed out rightly so, use these um, these powers for for good because anytime you have the ability to influence, you can either do that for good or bad. That's just a fact. And so I'm assuming that everybody listening to us wants to to do good out there. And you can take these principles and apply them for, for evil, just like anything. There's, a, there's an interesting history of organizations using this idea of reciprocity. I don't know if you're familiar with the religious group, the Krishnas. And, you know, they, in the 70s, they would you know, get a lot of attention for their dress and they'd play their symbols and, and, but they weren't getting any donations. And so the, the, the church was, was financially starving. Well, they learned about this idea of reciprocity and they started to begin giving, they'd come up to, to potential donors and they would give them a, a book like the Bagata, what is it called? Gita Bagata. I don't know, but it's their book on, uh, I'm sorry if you're a Christian listening. I apologize. Um, or they would give their magazine or a flower, and even if you didn't like that person, there was just this feeling that you had to to give them something back. And so saying no to that is super hard. And it was so successful. They they were so financially successful that it enabled them to finance many of their temples. Even here in Utah, we have a Krishna temple. To, to grow their uh, their followers and and just fund fund their operations just by using this reciprocity I, I actually have a picture for those of you who may be watching uh, in 2017 I took my son Josh I take all my kids on a senior trip for for graduation we went to New York and here we are in Central Park and and one of the uh, Krishna uh, people there in in the park came up and and I, I didn't put the video on I should I wish I would have put that on. But he approached my son and, and went to hand him some uh, a, a bracelet, and my son just gave him the uh, you know the, the the thank you symbol, thank you so much. But you know, no, no, and uh, then grabbed him and said, "But I want to take a picture with you." And he was all disappointed. But then he smiled for the camera, thinking, "Hey, maybe I'll give him a picture and and they'll donate." And he was disappointed, but <laughs> so we broke the reciprocity rule on that one, Christian. Well, it's interesting. So you. <laughs> Thanks for sharing the picture. So what you've basically done is given us some tools. If there is some disconnect between our actual brand, what we have now, and what we want our brand to be, 
Now, these are some simple ways through uh, compliment uh, by, you know, reciprocity, uh, complimenting others. Uh, how have you seen this work in your profession? I, I know you go back uh, a lot. You, you had a great mentor. I got the chance to meet him at your son's wedding. Um, but you know, tell us about your own experience uh, as an influencer or, or at, at the, I don't want to say at the mercy, but working for an influencer uh, and, and how that benefited you and your team in a positive way. So, you know, you, you met Kelvin and he's somebody that has had a, an enormous quote unquote influence in, in my life. He has, he has taught me so much. And when I worked for him, I was out of college. I mean, I was 27 years old. I had so much to learn and he taught me, he spent time with me. He encouraged me, he challenged me. I mean, I, I've, I've told the story of when he said, you know, you've, you've got to turn things around or I'm going to have to make a change. So he was able to give me feedback and he was, you know, he, so often I think managers feel like, you know, what some of the things that we talk about are causing our, our society to be, you know, soft or our business to, you know, not be challenging and just getting work done. The, the contrary is true because of my relationship with, with Kelvin, I was more committed I was dedicated. I, I worked 80 hours a week and, and, and that's not a small number. You know, he was somebody that said, I don't care how long you work. I don't care if you work 20 hours a week, Spencer, if you just get your work done. My work never seemed to end, but because of my desire to, uh, be in that culture. I mean, I loved, I loved what I did. I loved who I worked with. I, I appreciated Kelvin. I was, I was committed. That's that's an example of of a team influencer. And 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 I've had experiences in in my own life where I did a poor job of influencing and saw the impact negatively on the team where people weren't bought into uh, you know my vision or or direction because I, I I attempted to force that in a way without. Um, using the, the proper tools of influence or the patience and, 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 and helping persuade people. And some of you are saying, well, you know, if, if, if you're the boss, you should just get people to do what, what you want. Well, sometimes it takes time to build that authority and that influence. And, you know, there's, there's, how do you get there? Well, we all have, you know, there, there's different levels of, of credibility. You know, organizations right now are looking for skills. I mean, it, it, so now we're, we used to look at resumes. Now we're actually looking at skill sets and we're, we're measuring those to, to make sure that you can, you can do the job. Some of the things that we don't measure that are enormously valuable tools or skills are just the ability that we have to move people. Now, I have on the positive side seen what happens when I get it right, when I do what, what Kelvin did with me, when I take the time to, uh, instead of just springing, you know, an idea and, and saying, all right, everybody's going to get behind this is to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with, with my direct reports, building that, that relationship, um, having their support and their buy-in. So 
when I need help in influencing others, I now have a, a group of people that have bought in, and that that it, so think about the idea. If you've got this, think about how how a marketing works. I mean, I, I've heard it told about the microwave oven. I mean, when the microwaves came out, I mean, did you did your family immediately get one? We didn't. No, in fact, they were against it. Like, why would I want one of those things? Right. right. I mean, you're going to radiate your food, and all, so there was a lot of resistance. But there were some early adopters, right? And 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 so what happens in this process of influence is the is the marketers of these microwaves they found the earlier adopters, and they were expensive machines. I remember, you know, Mana and all these different ones. They they were just these huge these huge things. But over time, what, then we had this next phase of people because the friends of these early adopters was wow, that's really cool. And and I you know then we have movies like Twins where Arnold Schwarzenegger says I like nuked food, right. Um, and so we started having more and more people get them. And today, every house has one. But it didn't happen all at once. There's a, there's a process of, of getting people to, to uh, adopt. And that's all about influence. And so finding people initially that you can, you can connect with and have take advantage of some of that similarity bias, maybe people that think the same as you, and, and then slowly influence the team to, to get to the direction of, of effort or change that you want to make as a, as a team leader. It's interesting. You mentioned that it takes time. So I've got a, a colleague, a good friend, uh, who runs a software company up in park city called Atlas RTX. He's been at it for, I think six or seven years in the last year or so, I've been noticing posts on LinkedIn from employees talking about the culture. They do a lot of fun things together. They have a lot of parties. They do outdoor activities and, you know, fun run things. And they do a lot of this kind of stuff to, to, to bond. Uh, <clears throat> I bring it up because it does take time. You know, it, it does take time to, to build that culture. And so, right, right. Uh, you know, nobody listening is going to be able to wave the magic wand and then all of a sudden have the brand, you know, <laughs> of their team be reformulated. Uh, it, it takes time, uh, just as you said, it took time for the market to adjust to using microwave ovens. It takes time for companies or for teams to establish the brand that they really want. One thing that I will say is once that's established, uh, if you look at companies, they spend a lot of time and money to protect the brands that created, right? So if you look at the International Olympic Committee, and you look at local organizers, they have they have a department or a unit that's called brand protection, right? That's now they call it rights protection, but uh, but it's all about protecting the Olympic brand or the brand of the city. And, and so a lot of time and effort is going going into making sure that the brands that people have built trust and faith in are, are protected. And I think that's something that we should all be cognizant of as leaders as well. We can't just coast on our brand, but the brand deserves protection. And, and that's that's done by people within uh, the team, right? Christian, I have a that question. We how, to protect the brand. how did they do that with respect to volunteers? I mean, how did they take that, that brand uh, idea and permeate that through the managing all of the, the, the volunteers? So every volunteer goes through some training, right? Uh, because 
they want the vol the volunteers are the face of the games and so volunteers need to to have the skills needed to be the face of the games and so that that usually uh encompasses three different rounds of training one is kind of a general training that all of the volunteers go through where they learn things about customer service they learn things about conflict resolution uh they they even just simple things like when you're gesturing use an open hand don't point you know things like this that the volunteers learn uh to give them the skills to to really represent their city and their brand uh, and then they 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 learn some more specific things uh, related to their role and then they learn some more specific things about the venue and the location that they're that they're working in so they they kind of have this three-pronged approach uh to volunteer training but all of it is to make sure that they're delivering good service to people uh because a people deserve it and b it reflects positively on the brand and so that's and usually that's a that's a program that goes on you know it starts anywhere between six to 12 months uh or more before the games happen you know they start they start the training of the volunteers so uh, so you you said something that I think is so important that I think we uh, don't always think of, and that is body language. It, just something as simple as holding an open palm instead of pointing sends all kinds of signals. And whether you are aware of it or not, every interaction, again, I said every interaction adds to or takes away from your brand. Think about what your body is doing in certain circumstances. When somebody's coming into you, into your office, are you frowning? Are you, I mean, I, I have a very severe look and I had to be aware, Christian, of how my eyebrows and how my face were showing up. And, and you know, because I, I, I can concentrate and I, when I concentrate, I look very stern and like I'm, I'm not agreeing or uh, I just uh, very unapproachable. And plus with my stature, my, I'm a six foot seven, I can be intimidating to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I've had people in my career tell me that that, that was uh, something hard for them to get over until they, until they got to know me. <laughs> I would be sitting, uh, you know, in my, in my church role, sometimes, sometimes I get to, you know, I'm sitting on the stand uh, and I would be listening to the speaker from the back and I would be concentrating and looking and I'd look down at my wife in the audience and she'd be like, I'm like, and, and just something as simple as, you know, raising your eyebrows and, and smiling when someone comes in your office invites them. Now you may say, well, I don't want them to come to my office, so I'm going to scowl. Well, okay. Well, that's again, part of your brand, but you can smile and say, Hey, you know, this is great. I, I'd love to talk to you, but now's not a great time. Um, and, and then set those parameters of when you want to do it. But how we just show up. If, if some, have you ever had this situation where you've asked someone how they're doing and they're like, I'm fine. And there's this dissonance because their body is not congruent with what they're saying. And so when somebody is talking, are you interested? Are you leaning in? Or are you thinking about what you're going to say? Is your body pointed away? Are your feet pointed away? Are, you know, is your head turned away? Or are you focused on your team? So something as simple as pointing with your palms up versus your fingers can make people on your team feel very, very special. And we are so often, I think, unaware of how our body language impacts how we influence our teams. 
It's you know it's a really great point, Spencer, because it will it will show your team members whether you are genuine uh, with them. If you try to use the compliment bias, for example, as a technique to let to 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 gain influence, your words are saying one thing, but your body is saying another. Like you say, I'm distracted and I'm thinking about what's going on over here, and I'm giving this compliment. They, people see right through that, right? They just they know what's going on inside your head because your body is telling them what's going on inside of your head. It, it's and, and some of this happens and it's not even conscious. We don't even think about it. Like the pointing versus the open palm. Another thing that we learned in Salt Lake 2002, I remember this going through the training, is here locally, when people say thank you, we often respond with a mm-hmm. Right? We do this mm-hmm. And in some cultures, that scene is dismissive when you do it. Mm -hmm. So we had to train our volunteers. If if a spectator or somebody came up there and said, thank you for helping me, don't just say, mm -hmm. you know, actually say, well, thank you so much. Thanks. So respond with words, not just a mm -hmm. uh, and so just very small things like that, that we're, we may not even be aware of. We may not be aware of that because of the culture that we come from. Uh, may be interpreted differently by other people. So it's a really important thing, I think, uh, as you said, to to go through some training to be made aware of these things so that you can correct them. And, and, and some of those things can be corrected very simply. It's not hard to change a habit from pointing to an open palm, right? It's like, oh, okay, I just, I extend these fingers. Uh, that's, that's, I can learn how to do that. And you figure that out. You know? uh, so I, I really appreciate you bringing up the, the, the point of body language and, um, you know, just how critical it is to actually uh, exerting influence or having influence over, over your team. Well, I think that uh, I think I, I know that's right, and and I think one more area that we could talk about, Christian, is credibility. So great, you can do all of these these techniques and work on your brand and be intentional about how you show up and how you interact with people and how you treat them and how you spend time with them, what you give to them, and in terms of your attention and, and time. But you also have to be able to to do the work and uh, have a, a set of skill sets that is uh, you know known for for getting things done and there's there's several types of credibility so there's what's called initial credibility and that is something that uh, precedes us right it's our reputation so if you're going to start working for an organization you know we we have recruiters out there saying oh you need to come work for us we're a great organization well that's what we say is the culture. You know, we, we, we want you to come work with us because of X. But then what happens, you join the company and all of a sudden you become aware of what's called the hidden culture. Well, let me tell you how things really work around here. And then instead of that initial credibility gives way to derived credibility. You know, this is, this is how things really are. And the same is true of us individually. When we have a reputation, people are excited to meet us. But then when they meet us, does that experience live up to that initial reputation because then that experience creates a derived experience for, for them, for your employees, for your team members, for your customers. 
And, and that derived credibility is happening every time you communicate with people. So that increases or decreases. And then we have what's called terminal credibility. And that's what people are saying about us after we leave. We cannot control that. The only thing that we can control is in the moment how we treat people. And, and so you, you, you think about what's going on in the workplace right now. So many managers are stressed, anxious. You know, they're, they're, you know, we're going into economic challenging times, perhaps. You know, we're thinking, you know, we've got supply chain issues. We've, we've had labor shortages. Uh, we've got managers doing the work of two and three people. Uh, yet, you know, demand stays high. We have health care providers. My, my daughter, you know, works in a, a delivery ward at the University of Utah, and they are just inundated as a result of all the lockdowns, lots of babies are starting to happening right now. <laughs> and so they are, and they can't turn people away. And, and so, you know, we're, we're overworked, we're stressed, we're anxious, we're thinking about, you know, the next virus, monkeypox, whatever it is. Under these conditions, it is hard to be worrying about a positive brand with our people. Yet, it's what's going to make our life a little easier. It's taking extra time and extra energy. You're like, man, I don't have any energy. Well, if you don't do these things, the, the cost is is worse. And so, you know, are you willing to to put in the the time and the investment in, in just developing your skills and abilities to influence people, so that you can get the best of them? But that only comes if they get the best of you. I think that's a really important point, Spencer. And when it comes to being the best of you, it's being the best you. You know, one problem that sometimes people have with leaders is is that they may not think rightly so that the leader has the technical expertise to really understand what's going on in the team, right? Because especially if the person's come in from outside. Uh, not only are they foreign to the culture and they don't understand all the policies and procedures, but you know you might be managing a team of engineers or you might be managing a team of programmers or something like this. And you know I, I, I deal with this on a daily basis. I have a team of software developers. I'm not a software developer, you know, I'm not coding. And so you may feel like you lack credibility because you can't do what they do and you may not be able to solve some of the problems that they have. Like if they're like, hey, you know, I, I can't get this thing to work properly. Can you, well, I'm not the person to ask, you know. Uh, oftentimes what happens as leaders, we get in positions like this and we feel like uh, we're inadequate because we we can't help our team in 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 certain ways. But you know, I think it's also important to note that that may not be the the that may not be what is actually needed by our team. What our team needs is what we're good at doing, and uh, so we just need to be real with ourselves and not try to pretend that we can that you know we can do something that we really can't do because all we'll do is disappoint our team members. But but if we can do things that are are genuine to us, where we can really add value then we can build credibility in team members, even if we don't have the technical skill set that they have. Such a good point, Christian. And, and I see that in the U.S. military. We have a structure of our military. We have what's called commissioned versus non-commissioned officers. 
And so the commissioned officers, you know, they've they've gone to university. They, you know, they they have uh, they get the keys to the equipment, so to speak, right? But it's the non-commissioned officers. These are the ones that have worked their way up through the ranks from the frontline soldier, men or women doesn't doesn't matter. So you, you know your your master sergeants here, you know these are the these are the ones that that do the work on the ground with with the people, and a lot of times they have a greater authority because they've come from, you know the 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 front lines so to speak and. And so then you have these commissioned officers come in and they're the ones that, you know, are sending all the orders. And, and the best ones are the ones that, that really work with and develop influence with their non-commissioned officers. They, they, don't, they don't say, hey, I know everything. I've only been in this role for two years and you've been in your role for 20 years, but you're going to take you know, direction from me. It is instead the, 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 a mutual respect that they have for each other in their differing roles. And as you said, I mean, that, that commissioned officer can remove roadblocks and move things around to help those, those teams on the ground succeed and be safe. And when they are willing to really work with each other, then magic happens with, with the team. And the principle is the same with what you talked about. And a leader who may not have all the, the working knowledge of your teams, that does not take any authority away. But when you respect them and work together in ways that um, you know are, are mutually respectful it, it, it can it can really lead to great outcomes well I totally agree and Spencer this has been a fascinating conversation uh, we've been going on for 45 minutes I could carry on for another hour I think this is a fascinating topic but but we'll let people get around to the rest of their day if people want to learn more about the influence that you can have on their teams uh, by sharing your vast knowledge and experience. And I'm not saying that to, to be a brown noser. I'm saying it because I've seen you work firsthand and I know that the difference you can make in people's lives, if they want to, if they want to reach out and uh, get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do so? Thank you. I uh, go to our website, Altium Leadership, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. You can chat me there. You can go on LinkedIn, just Spencer Horn on, on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find me and message me, message me there uh, at Christian. And like I say, when I, I see people coming up, some of the, the, the best in the business spending time with you and loving to, to, to hear from your experience and knowledge. How can, how can people find out about you? And Reconto, that is such a great tool and, and sponsor of, of our show here. What, uh, how can they learn a little bit more about that and you? Well, thank you very much, Spencer. People can reach out to me at Christian, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N, at raconto.io, R-A-K-O-N-T-O dot I-O. I had to think about that for a minute. Spell it correctly. So they can reach me at my email address, Christian at raconto.io. Visit our website, raconto.io. You can look me up on LinkedIn as well. Just find Christian Napier on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Spencer, for giving us about an hour of your time today and sharing your knowledge and experience. I really, really appreciate it. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon.